power on. Earth, 2018. The alliance between governments and tech giants has led to the rise of the surveillance society, distraction technology, the attention wars, and the erosion of your mind. But one show stands against this insidious system. Hosted by the podcast champion, the man of tomorrow, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He and his co-hosts form the intellectual resistance. It's time for Sovereign Tech. one constant in the universe you know what it is it's the golden stallion the man of tomorrow sabzu the rated r radio star ready for you every week to give you your latest hottest tech news science news and honestly whatever the fuck i want to talk about <laughs> i am here with you of course brian sovereign ready to take it all on and what a week's episode we have uh to get into first off i want to say and and we'll we'll get into this later because it's a new segment um that we do but i am really honored so many people emailed me about the new uh, online review of the week segment where we just read like some review for some product online. Uh, <laughs> I got so many people that emailed me that they were just falling over laughing and they just loved it. They were like their boss caught them uh, <laughs> laughing their ass off while they were listening to it. I am, I'm glad you're enjoying that because it makes sure that this show, I mean, it's tough, you know, when we're talking about all the depressing exploits or whatever the fuck that the government or NSA or whatever is doing. I mean, I repeat myself, you know, whatever any any of these or the, just the just the tech giants in Silicon Valley, whatever bullshit that they're pulling uh, or not doing to protect their users and consumers, you know, it gets depressing. And I don't like that because I'm I'm actually a very happy guy. And I like to spread that happiness because the purpose in fucking life is to be happy. So it's nice to add in segments again of the for the show where, you know, it like it almost guarantees that we have a laugh of some kind. So that's really important to me. Um, but unfortunately, we're not exactly going to have a laugh at the beginning here. But <laughs> well, not that I have like like really depressing stuff to talk about this week, um, but there's certainly plenty to get into. But anyway, yeah, we will continue to do these online reviews um, of the week and, and just it it's fun. So anyway, uh, why don't we start breaking into uh, this week's episode? Woo! In fact, a little later in the episode, I want to get into an article. It's a little longer, but I want to break it down. And it's going to be one of those, uh, 
occasions where I get a little deep into philosophy. I mean, based around, you know, new research, but where we're going to get pretty philosophical. And I, I know it's been a little while since I've done that. I've done a lot of a lot of straight uh, tech and security news and so on um, over the past few episodes. But we'll get into this a little bit, see what you think. But anyway, uh, let's let's start talking about it. let's get into our foreplay here where we talk about all the little stories going on in tech news. Um, something that I found interesting is that there's a new blog post. It's going to be a series, but it's the first blog post actually from the new uh, executive director of the tour project. That being Isabella uh, Begoros. And she, she took over, I think in April from, uh, from Sherry Steele. She replaced Sherry Steele. And I was intrigued in reading this. There's a link in the show notes. If you actually want to read the blog post for yourself, it was interesting to note some of the verbiage. Like she was kind of laying out her goals and, and, like she was saying something something to do to the degree like there's a new kind of plan for the tour project, which is strength in numbers, uh, which, of course, makes sense because you want as many people running tour nodes as you possibly can. I mean, if that's all that that means. But the interesting language in this new you know, uh, uh, vision or not, not necessarily new, but expanded vision for the tour project was she was making it really clear that she wants pretty much every web service to be able to work with Tor or, well, I, I guess major web services. How can you get everything to work with Tor? I mean, Firefox can't get everything to work with it, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, what are you, you going to do about that, right? You, you can't do much. Uh, but regardless, like she was really making this push to say, you know, no, we want everybody using the Tor browser. We want everybody using or we want everybody using Tor, which is, is I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily a new perspective, but it's the first time it's really been openly stated, in my opinion. And there was some language around ease of use, which, you know, we talk about this all the time in the show, the 10th law of thermodynamics that, you know, there's always a trade off between security and convenience. Right. You, you know, the more convenient something is likely the less secure it is and vice versa. Um I mean, I applaud this direction. I applaud the idea of everybody starting to use Tor. Um, there, we'll get into some other news that's going on around the dark web, as Tor or I2P is often called. Uh, and usually, the only time I think the term dark web should really, I mean, it, it's a cool term, right? <laughs> In a way, but like really the the only time I think that term should be used is if you are referencing like all of the alternative, you know, more secure, uh, uh, you know, Internet layers, you know, like the like Tor, uh, because, you know, it's built on top of the infrastructure that's already out there like Tor or I2P. That's when you should use the term dark web. Otherwise, just call it Tor or call it I2P if you're speaking of them specifically. But I'm really curious how Isabella is going to make this take shape. You know, like what what exactly is. Well, one thing that we know, we announced we talked about this when it was first announced, maybe about a month ago, is that there is a new Tor browser being developed by the Tor project itself and not necessarily the, the Guardian project um, for Android, for Android proper. And, you know, in the Google Play Store, the whole thing. And that might be a push towards you know, I'm sure the numbers kind of speak or kind of say it that like mobile web browser use is maybe higher or probably worldwide. It's pretty much guaranteed to be higher than uh, than desktop web browser use. And so maybe that's really the fruition of this plan uh, is that, you know, they're going to make a very easy Tor browser again, because remember that the goal 
of the specific Tor browser app, which is an alpha right now, again, it is in the Google Play Store, uh, was to allow you to access Tor without having to fire up Orbot and all of that. So that's certainly looking, pointing at getting to more of that ease of use to where everybody could use it. Uh, This will be interesting. I'm going to guess that that's really the goal there. And it makes sense because what's the most used operating system in the world? Well, it's Android. But really, a future where, say, potentially everybody is using Tor, uh, I am totally on board with that. Like, I, I think that's a fine and dandy thing. So I have no problem with what Isabel is saying here. Um, I just think it's interesting for it to be so open and honest. And I do think that moves are already being made to get Tor to that higher level of, of use. I mean, again, the more people that use it, you know, you could say, well, but if, if somebody's using Tor, uh, potentially, you know, governments could come after you. The police could be knocking on your door just because you're running a Tor node or because, you you know, they, they see Tor traffic or something like that. This is the thing. The more people that use it, um, the less likely that that becomes, because once it just becomes commonplace, I mean, you, you literally cannot imprison everybody. You know, not not in like an actual traditional prison. Of course, some people want to make the argument that we're all imprisoned on this planet Earth. And well, <laughs> but. But regardless, I I think this is a laudable goal. I think it's a very interesting thing to go with. Um, Again, and there's, you know, as far as like the 10th law of thermodynamics, you know, this 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 toss up or this this trade off between security and convenience Um, with Tor. Most of the security really happens, you know, at the node level and not everybody's going to run a node, but everybody could use the Tor browser to access, you know, and bounce off of those nodes and so on. So, you know, the 10th law of thermodynamics doesn't exactly apply here. Okay. (laughs) You know, the the security, the the trade-off of security and convenience doesn't exactly, you know, apply. Um, And obviously I think that, yeah, they can make a really great browser um, for Android itself and, it already looks good uh, that, you know, eliminates some of the barriers to entry, like the requirement to install other apps uh, to make sure that it can work. There's really no reason that this can't be done and it's being done. And I think, again, the the the, the official release out of alpha and I imagine not even beta is supposed to be early 2019. So not too far off. Um, it shouldn't come as a surprise that this blog post would come out uh, not far away from when this, this new version of the, you know, this official version of the Tor browser for Android uh, will, will hit final, uh, you know, gold release. Now, speaking of the dark web though, and when I, like I just told you when you're, when I, when I say, and I like to be very careful with my language, I try to be, when I say dark web, I only I use that to reference multiple alternative. Uh, I mean, they're not really alternate. Alter, they're, they're not really alternative internets in the sense that like they have completely different infrastructures. Of course, that's the real dream of where we want to go, where mesh networking, peer to peer, all of that. Um, you know, when I say dark web, that means I'm referencing both Tor and I2P and, you know, maybe some of the other alternatives out there, uh, you know, that are available. And this week there was a massive, massive takedown of content sites, services um, on both Tor and I2P because somebody and not uninterestingly, this was just a day after the uh, leak of a or you know kind of a, a reveal of a PHP zero day exploit. Um, somebody took down Daniel's hosting. Now, for those that don't know, Daniel's hosting pretty much was so this is, you know, this was all a server and everything being being powered uh, by what's Daniel Winzel, I think his name or Winzel, Daniel Winzel. Uh, he's a guy out of Germany, software developer. And 
Daniel's hosting was powering, you know, I mean, that's really the way you could say it, was powering about 30% of the content on Tor and I2P. I mean, this is, you know, I, I, both network layers, okay? <laughs> this was... <laughs> I mean, this is massive. Like, you know, hundreds of sites went down. I mean, there's just so much shit that went down um, from this. And look, it is gone. Like all of this stuff, whatever was being hosted by Daniel Winzel, you know, through Daniel's hosting, um, it's just flat gone. There's no recovery. And that's the design. Now, here's the funny thing. So, I mean, there's there's really kind of a lot that could be said about this. Um, But bottom line, I mean, Daniel Winzel came right out and said that, you know, it was the root account, everything. Okay. On, on Daniel servers. I mean, it's, it's, it's over. Like it's just done. It's gone. Everything's deleted. There is no, I mean, he's going to turn the service back on, you know, he's going to get Daniel's hosting back up and running, but whatever was on it before is just gone. There is no way to, you know, to, to, to get it back. Um, there are no backups and he wanted there to be no backups. Now, you know, one of the reasons that people are even interested in things like the Internet or the cloud, um, you know, and so on, is because it allows for data redundancy. But I would argue I like the way that Tor handles business or that a lot of, you know, people, a lot of the, the uh, you know, operational setups for Tor handle business where there are no backups, where, you know, this is like, look, because stuff that governments, you know, activists have to use Tor and so on. Um, and I, I, I'm going to address the whole child porn thing here in a second okay but point being there are plenty of you know anti-authoritarian important uh use cases for tor i2p and so on um you know yeah everybody's like well drugs are getting sold and blah blah blah. well so what but (laughs) regardless of that okay um this you know affects a lot of that uh this takedown now that is the very reason that you wouldn't want backups because if you know the authorities come a calling you want to be able to very quickly remove all trace of any, you know, material or, you know, logs or whatever um, that activists say had, you know, uh, may have had, say, in this case with Daniel's hosting. So but what happened here? Like, why? Why did this? Why did hackers? Uh, and actually, I'm, I'm going to use the word hackers, even though, again, you know, another important phrasing uh, on Sovereign Tech is that hackers are heroes. Now, if you're somebody that's, you know, that's really fucking with individuals and I don't mean, you know, authoritarians, but you're fucking with individuals, um, you know, I, I like. I will call you a bad actor or a malicious actor or something like that. But hackers themselves are heroes. Uh, why did this happen? Why was Daniel's hosting taken down um, by hackers or a hacker? And as far as like theories going, like Daniel has come out, I think, and said, oh, it was, uh, you know, might have been ru- like a Russian hacking group or it might have been held. Maybe he's even claiming it might be the Russian government or something like that. I mean, anybody, it's really anybody's theory as far as what the hell happened here. Um, I don't know what analysis they're going to be able to pull off to find out who did it in the first place or if anybody's coming out and claiming it. But you can't necessarily believe those all the time. Um because, you know, I think anonymous doesn't really exist anymore, but then you get a million people claiming to be anonymous still, you know, and saying that they did this and they did that. And, you know, you don't know that they actually did that. Uh, it's kind of the nature of the game. But in any case, so what happened here? Well, an important thing to bring up, and we've talked about this on Sovereign Tech in the past, is that the dark web, okay, really polices itself. And there are some notable figures uh, on Tor and I2P. There are some notable groups who, if they know that there is a service out there, a site or a, a 
you know, a chat service of some kind, whatever, being run on those network layers that, you know, they'll take them down that that are running, say, that are sharing like child porn and things like this. Um, And this is how it should be done. You know, and it proves the point that we don't need governments to be policing the Internet. We don't need the FBI to be doing it. We don't need whatever alphabet soup organization to be doing it because there are plenty of inspired individuals, okay, who, you know, are far smarter and far better at handling all of this that will take care of it themselves. And likely, in my opinion, I think that's what, I mean, this is just my opinion. And again, it's anybody's guess, but I think that's what happened here. I think that, I mean, do I think the government did this? No. I think that probably some people knew that through Daniel's hosting, there was a lot of, um, you know, again, I don't, I don't give a shit if like there's drug deals or whatever going on on tour, you know, that doesn't mean anything, you know, anything to me. Uh, and it wouldn't mean much to Elon Musk either, which we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> Old boy smoking marijuana on the Joe Rogan show uh, and getting into all kinds of trouble, but genuinely horrendous things that are unquestionably horrendous and unethical. Okay. Regardless of law or whatever, all right. Say, uh, you know, slave, the slave trade, sex trade, you know, whatever. Okay. That. Uh, you know, the, the sharing of child porn and so on. Genuinely horrendous things. All right. Those are getting policed by, again, by by users of the dark web themselves, by by hackers, heroic hackers. And I think that they went and they just they just said, boop, you know, we're just we're going to wipe out Daniel's hosting. Uh, is this the right way to do it? Well, I, you know, here's the thing is that the you know, these people who very much you know, live on the dark web, these kinds of hackers, uh, or, you know, it's more of their life, you know, it's where maybe, you know, you or the average person is just like, okay, well, you know, I'm using Google docs and I'm on the regular World Wide web and everything. And I'm not messing with those, with the dark web, with those other network layers. Uh, you know, you might not know exactly everything that's going on. And that's, and, and that's the deal here. I, I, my guess is, is that this was actually a heroic act. I could be wrong. You may disagree with me. You may have been. I know I have listeners who run tour services and tour sites and everything. You may have been affected by Daniel's hosting going down. Uh, you might feel that it's kind of a nuclear option. I can understand all of that. But I, I think that's really what happened here. I mean, but this is huge. Like pretty much 6,500, you know, various sites and services were taken down across tour and I2P because of this. 30%. Okay. Effectively, 30% of the dark web is gone. For all time. Now, and I explained why I think that that's a good thing. Uh, I really do. Now, you can say, well, isn't that like, isn't deleting data like any data? Isn't that a problem? Isn't that like burning the Library of Alexandria and so on? Um, no, there's, there's some things that <laughs> don't need to exist or shouldn't exist. Child porn is not art. It's disgusting. It's deplorable. It is horrible. It can go away, you know, and if hackers want to be the ones to delete it on the dark web, as has been going on for years, fucking great. Okay. And I mean that bravo to you. All right. If that's what went down. So anyway, um, I mean a huge hit, uh, but it does show also, I mean, it's an important thing to look at because most of like most hosts for content on tour and I2P work under the same auspices that they do not back up anything. You know, they do not have backups and and all that. So it's important to think about that uh, and consider it, you know, that, that your data isn't necessarily safe or, you you know, or maybe you feel that it's safe because there's no backups and so on. Um, It's important to know, you know, that this is how, this is how the dark web works. Uh, So, I mean, but a huge hit, unbelievably huge hit. 
Uh, also, I mean, could this possibly be related to this new push to make Tor uh, something accessible, not only accessible, but also uh, amenable or desirable by the masses? I wonder. Maybe. You know, <laughs> I mean, it is interesting that this big announcement comes out. We're going to reach out to everybody and then suddenly 30 percent of it goes down. And also, you know, we have the new Tor browser and so on. Uh, like, I mean, the timing is interesting. So something to consider. Now, speaking of interesting timing. OK, I didn't talk about this. First off, I'm not the big I'm not exactly the biggest fan of Elon Musk. OK, I think he gets he gets given a little too much credit. Um Anyway, I, that, that's something you can listen back to old Sovereign Techs about. There have been plenty of times where I have talked about Elon Musk. Uh, this story, which or part of this story, which initially occurred back in September of 2018, I was tempted to talk about on Sovereign Tech because I was going to, you know, defend Elon a little bit here. Um, and but now I'm glad I didn't talk about it then because I'm feeling a little conspiratorial. OK, and I, I when I say conspiratorial or conspiracy theory or anything like that, I don't always mean it as pejorative. Um, so it's been announced uh, this past week. So, all right. What happened is, is that Elon Musk was on the Joe Rogan show. OK, very obviously very famous podcast. And on there and then there's, you know, Joe Rogan show also has, you know, video and audio versions, blah, blah, blah. So on there, Elon Musk is on and. He starts smoking marijuana right on the show. Okay. Uh, there's a huge uproar. Like, whoa, what the fuck? You know, even though <laughs> in so many states and certainly countries around the world, you know, but so many states in the United States are now legalizing, mar- you know, m- recreational marijuana or whatever version of marijuana, whatever the law happens to be at the time. You know, everybody flips out like, holy shit. You know, the guy that's supposed to be building our future. He's smoking pot. What the fuck? So this week, NASA comes out and says that they will be conducting uh, investigations and extensive reviews for workplace safety, um, both at SpaceX and Boeing. um, And both of those and and for both of those, that has been prompted uh, by Elon Musk's, you know, recent drug use. (laughs) You know, I'm sure it's not recent at all. Uh, All right. I want to say this first and foremost. I don't give a rat. Like, so what? Like, if Elon Musk smokes marijuana, who gives a shit? In fact. Let's be clear here, okay? <laughs> Who's NASA going to yell at about, you know, smoking pot? Are they going to yell at maybe the guy who has done more for, you know, promoting NASA uh, for the past 30, 40 years? And whose name is that? It's not Elon Musk. It's the late, great Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan, you know, is infamous. And I, I you know, and hey, you know, rock and roll Carl Sagan for writing articles under a pseudonym. I think it was a Mr. X where... Uh, you know, he was promoting uh, marijuana use. I mean, really, are they going to like, you know, go shit on 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 Carl Sagan, you know, for for that? Like it, it, it's such. <laughs> this is where I start to get kind of weird about this, because NASA knows, of course, how many of its own engineers. Regularly smoke marijuana, they just maybe not, maybe they don't know about it or something like that, but I mean, come on, they got to know. And yes, they do. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not going to name names, but I know from, you know, I, you could say I'm speaking from anecdote. No, I know from, I know personal, I know people, okay, who 
That's all I'm going to say is that, you know, they might have been involved with that organization at one point and they enjoyed themselves some fine greenery. How about that? (laughs) We'll just put it that way. Okay, so, I mean, NASA is being ridiculous in this, but where it gets weird is that these reviews and interviews and, uh, you know, this looking into of the workplace at Boeing and SpaceX comes at a time where SpaceX especially is planning on, you know, doing some pretty interesting launches, sending people to go fly around the moons, you know, uh, uh, you know launching some uh, some newer space vehicles and so on uh, within the coming year. And they are they're coming. NASA's coming out and saying, hey, this is going to take months. This is going to take a while. We're, you know, and if we find one thing. You know, we're going to do something about this. We might have to shut down the whole company. We might have to, you know, they're, they're pretty much threatening. They might have to shut down SpaceX or, blah, or there's going to be delays and this and that. And that's where shit gets weird. This has happened more than a few times. Okay, now I want to be clear on this because if you say something about like what I like what I'm about to say, uh, you know, one could come to certain conclusions of what you think I may think. First off, I'm not a flat earther. Also, I absolutely think that you know the Apollo missions went to the moon. Okay, we've been to the moon as as, you know, as a species. Uh, you know, I, I firmly believe that. Okay, I do not subscribe really. I mean, you know, well, if you're if you're a Sovereign Tech patron, you listen to the user podcast. You know, I might have some differing opinions on on how the universe got here. Uh, I'm not a subscriber to the Big Bang, I'm, but I also don't believe in a God. Uh, so, you know, like I, I do, you know, I'm, I'm interested in alternative cosmologies. OK, but by and large, you know, what we understand of how the universe functions and that we go to space and there's an international space. I mean, all of that's absolutely real. And we send probes. We actually do send probes to Mars. They're not just like rovers going around with funny tinted cameras in Arizona. Okay, or anything like that, which I know there's plenty of libertarians and anarchists that believe that kind of horseshit, Uh, you know, that that I mean, and that's where that's where I will use conspiracy theorists in the pejorative. Okay, but it is damned weird. Okay, that suddenly, you know, we're about to get into a real private space race and we're going to do some. I mean, there's already been some launches and so on in use, um, you know, of, of SpaceX technology, but. It is odd that, oh, shit, this happens. Now, what's really odd, and here's where I get a little concerned, is now I'm not going to say that like NASA, I mean, I, I could hint at, there's two ways this, this theory, this conspiracy theory of mine could go. One is, and we've talked about this before on Sovereign Tech, one is, is that NASA is doing this to keep everyday people from getting into space and what they might see when they do go up there or when they go to the moon, right? Which would play into something I've, I've kind of talked about recently, uh, where, you know, I question when we did go to the moon, when the Apollo missions did go to the moon, did they find something on the moon that we're not supposed to see? And that's why you have this weird, these weird, uh, you know, why the photographs say from, uh, uh, you know, from the Apollo missions look like they've been, you know, in some way uh, altered. OK, it's because maybe it's hiding something on there. And I say maybe I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I, I can't say that with any kind of certainty because something I remember talking about, this would have been back well, the very beginning of Sovereign Tech, very early on in the show's history. So this would have been like 20. This would have been not not right at the beginning because the show started in 2012. So like 2013 or so. Um, 
NASA came out of nowhere. So what was happening was, is you have Elon Musk, you have a whole bunch of other people, you have like that, the reality TV show that's going to be a one-way trip to Mars and so on. Elon Musk is saying, I'm going to get people to Mars by, I don't know, 2020 or, or some some weird year and so on. Uh, and then suddenly NASA comes out of nowhere and says, oh, you know, shit, there's this third Van Allen belt. Now, we've known about the Van Allen belts, two of them, for decades. You know, not new news. But then suddenly, oh, NASA is suddenly, you know, just out of nowhere, Alert, alerts everybody and alarms everybody to the idea that, oh, there's actually a third Van Allen belt. And you know what? That third Van Allen belt, it just comes and goes as it pleases. <laughs> like, like it's there one second, nah, next second it's fucking gone. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's pretty much what NASA said years ago. And I thought it was odd then that they would, I mean, I mean, it almost felt like they were just coming up with this fucking thing. And now they've said, oh, well, it's disappeared completely. Okay, so they've run out of an, you know, like that that excuse, and it's probably because it was might not have ever been a real thing in the first place. Okay, so they can only falsify the data for so long. Um, that's, that's a little, that's my own personal conspiracy theory, okay? And I'm not going to talk about that in depth, but I've talked about that over the years on Sovereign Tech. I've mentioned it multiple times because it, it is fucking weird. Um. In fact, I think maybe in an episode in like January or something um, of this year of 2018, I might have talked about it then. But I talked about it back when they first announced it. And I said, oh, you people are full of shit. You're just trying to keep, uh, you know, the private space industry from happening, um, which I mean, government, you know, NASA is a government agency and government does have incentive to keep private space industry from from becoming a thing. Why? Because, well, kind of like I said earlier, you could make the argument that we're all imprisoned. OK, on Earth. Because everything's owned by some kind of government, so we're all under the gun. Once you get to space, the rules change. In fact, there are no rules. I mean, you could argue there's no rules on Earth either. Just, you know, there are consequences. But really, there's no rules once you get to space. That's why I want to get the fuck you know, up there. <laughs> okay? So... You know, I mean, there's there is incentive for the government to to really like not allow the private space industry to become a thing. And so one could go in this direction with that, that they either, you know, want to control the space, uh, you know, travel in space in general. And they still kind of would, even with private space industry, as we understand it or what was planned by SpaceX and so on uh, right now. Or maybe, you know, one could go so far as to say, oh, they're they're hiding some shit like their shit on the moon or on Mars. Uh, there might have been a base set up by, you know, a Russian American uh, uh, conglomerate in or, or, you know, cooperative effort in 1969. Alternative three. Right. Some people want to run with that. Yeah, I, I know what alternative three is. And I know that, that like it's it was kind of a, a mockumentary of sorts. But well, anyway, that's out there. Um, you know, it could be that or it could be something even simpler. And here's really what I think went down. There's no fucking way that this is what I'm going to run with. I'm open to the uh, to what I just described to you, the one possibility of this conspiracy theory. But I think all of this is intentional. OK, either way, all of this is intentional and it may be intentional, not on NASA's part, not on the government's part. And this does not speak well of Elon Musk. I don't care if he does drugs. I don't care what drugs he does. Go for it. Have a good time. OK, I, I mean, I'm not a guy for that sort of thing, but I fully support people doing what they want to do with their bodies all the way. All right. But I think there's no way Elon Musk didn't know. There's no way he didn't know that this would happen, that that there would be repercussions for him smoking marijuana in public like that. I mean, there's just no way. Like, this guy has a million advisors around him at all times, and not one of them said, hey, Elon, you know, you fucking might not want to do that. And what, there's no way they could have edited it? I mean, does Joe Rogan run live like that? Like, I, I, this is very, <laughs> this is very, very specious stuff. I think what's more likely 
is that SpaceX's technology isn't, you know, and, and, and like their developments for space travel may not be up to snuff, may not be ready for prime time. And so Elon Musk created a delay that makes it look like, oh, it's not Elon's fault. It's the fucking government. I mean, and there's plenty to blame the government for, no doubt about it. I mean, and certainly the government is holding us, you know, regardless of how there are a lot of very simple and and very real ways to to show that, yes, the government is keeping us from getting, you know, to to space. Okay, but this is one where I think Elon knew exactly what he was doing. He pulled a stunt and the stunt is giving SpaceX more time uh, and giving them a delay that they can take advantage of to get their technology ready for prime time or for him perhaps to collect the funds to even pull off the stunts he wants to pull off uh, with SpaceX. So, yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> like really I I feel very conspiratorial about this whole thing right down to him smoking marijuana in the first place I think that was that was completely a that, that was not a PR stunt but it was a stunt uh maybe it was a PR stunt but at the very least it was a stunt and I think that NASA you know causing these delays at SpaceX and doing all these reviews and everything like I I think that personally my opinion it's intentional I think that's what went down so you know hey Elon, you know, like I said, rock the drugs. I don't care. Okay. But there's, there's no way he didn't know that this, this kind of thing would happen. And so I, I think that this is really sketchy shit. You know, smoking marijuana is not sketchy, but the way he did it, when he did it, how he did it, why he did it, all very sketchy. Anyway, why don't we, why don't we get into our main story? I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Woo! wasn't enough for you. Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. Time has come and gone. It's our turn now. Two million tons of spinning metal all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Story of the week. It is time for a story of the week where I cover well, usually just one big story uh, for the week that I think is particularly interesting. This one, uh, written by Brian Resnick, uh, and it's actually this is kind of an older one. It's from 2016, from November of this year, uh, but I think originally from 2016. Which, you know, I wish I had seen this back then. I wish I had seen it earlier because it would help expound upon a lot of things that I've talked about. Um, on Sovereign Tech. Uh, this was actually shared to me recently uh, by my co-host, uh, Sovereign Tech co-host for the Star Wars update that's only available on Patreon. Go to SovereignTech.com if you want to become a patron. Okay. Um, uh, by uh, Robin Freebeard. And he he shared this and I just read it and I was like, oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. So to explain a little bit about me, 
Okay, I am, and in case you kind of couldn't tell, perhaps, from (laughs) I was describing (laughs) the use of certain things, Uh, even though, like, I'm, I'm more or less straight edge, you know, that, I mean, that's, except for maybe caffeine. Like, I mean, I barely even take Tylenol. Uh, again, I have no problem with whatever people want to do. Okay. But bottom line, I I'm a hedonist. I'm a sensualist. I really am, but I am a hedonist. Uh, I am a big believer in (laughs) honestly (laughs) giving into temptation (laughs) and of course having fun in life. Uh, and this, this article, I mean, this is really, really interesting stuff and it's a little lengthy, but I think it's important And, you know, this is based around scientific research and it's the myth of self-control. That's the name of it. It was originally on Vox. Um, So I want to start reading it here for you. And I'm going to break down what this means for you, what this means for all of us, what it means for the human condition, which we love to talk about on Sovereign Tech here. So uh, but just so you know where I'm coming from. I am admittedly biased and pro a lot of what, you know, uh, I mean, just the title alone, the myth of self-control. Um, I, but let me explain myself. Let's read the article. And then, like I said, allow me to explain myself. So here we go. Uh, the myth of self-control. As the Bible tells it, the first crime committed was a lapse of self-control. Eve was forbidden from tasting the fruit on the tree of knowledge, but the temptation was too much. The fruit was just so, quote, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, end quote. Genesis reads, oh, stallion breaking in. Don't desire wisdom. No, no, no. You need to stay dumb. Yeah, we don't want all the knowledge of good and evil. Anyway, <laughs> reading on, who wouldn't want that? Humanity was just days old, but already we were succumbing to a vice. The takeaway from this story was clear. When temptation overcomes willpower, it's a moral failing worthy of punishment. Modern-day psychologists might not blame Eve for her errant ways at all, because what's true today was also true at the beginning of time, regardless of what story you believe in. Uh, Stallion breaking in, actually. If you listen to user podcast uh, on on the Sovereign Tech Patreon feed, you've got to become a patron and you have to get into the $5 level for that. We actually talked about how in Genesis there's actually two creation accounts, so not just one. Uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. But anyway, you got to listen to user podcasts to learn about that. But let me let me read on here. Uh, human beings are horrible at resisting temptation. Quote, effortful restraint where you are fighting yourself. The benefits of that are overhyped. End quote. Uh, Kentaro Fujita, a psychologist who studies self-control at The Ohio State University, says he's not the only one who thinks so. Several researchers I spoke to are making a strong case that we shouldn't feel so bad when we fall for temptations. Indeed, studies have found that trying to teach people to resist temptation either only has short term gains or can be an outright failure. Quote, we don't seem to be all that good at self-control End quote, Brian Gala, a psychologist at the University of Pittsburgh says the implications of this are huge. If we accept that brute willpower doesn't work, we can feel less bad about ourselves when we succumb to temptation. And we might also be able to refocus our efforts on solving problems like obesity. A recent national survey. Now, well, Stanley breaking in for a second. There's actually a great week. I haven't gotten to it yet, but there's there are as much as there's myths around self-control. There are myths around obesity as well. But this is what the article is saying. And, and that's a conversation for another episode. Um, a recent national survey reading on from the University of Chicago finds that 75 percent of Americans say a lack of willpower is a barrier to weight loss. And yet the emerging scientific consensus is that the obesity crisis is the result of a number of factors, including genes and the food environment and crucially not a lack of willpower. If we could stop worshiping self-control, 
control. Maybe we could start thinking about diluting the power of temptation and helping people meet their goals in new ways with less effort. Uh, The subtitle here is The Case Against Willpower. Many of us assume that if we want to make big changes in our lives, we have to sweat for it. But if, for example, the change is to eat fewer sweets and then you find yourself in front of a pile of cookies, researchers say the pile of cookies has already won. Quote, our prototypical model of self-control is angel on one side and devil on the other, and they battle it out, uh, Fujita says. We tend to think of people with strong willpower as people who are able to fight this battle effectively. Actually, the people who are really good at self-control never have these battles in the first place, end quote. There's the big rub right there, Stallion breaking in, reading on. This idea was crystallized in the results of a 2011 study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. The study tracked 205 people for one week in Germany. The study participants were given Blackberries, uh, that being the phones, that would go off at random, asking them questions about what desires, temptations, and self-control they were experiencing in the moment. The paper stumbled on a paradox. The people who were the best at self-control, the ones who most readily agreed to survey questions like, quote, I am good at resisting temptations, end quote, reported fewer temptations throughout the study period. To put it more simply, the people who said they excel at self-control were hardly using it at all. Psychologists Marina uh, Milisvastyaka, sorry, <laughs> and Michael Inslet uh, recently confirmed and expanded on this idea. In their study, they monitored they monitored 159 students at McGill University in Canada in a similar manner for a week. If resisting temptation is a virtue, then more resistance should lead to greater achievement, right? That's not what the results uh, that's not what the results said. Pending publication in the journal uh, Social Psych- Psychological and Personality Science found uh, the students who exerted more self-control were not more successful in accomplishing their goals. It was the students who experienced fewer temptations overall who were more successful than the researchers checked back in at the end of the semester. What's more, the people who exercised more effortful self-control also reported feeling more depleted. So not only were they not meeting their goals, they were also exhausted from trying. That's a quote. That's a strong assumption still that exerting self-control is beneficial and quote uh, Milikskaba blah, blah, blah. A professor at Carleton University tells me, uh, quote, and we're showing in the long term, it's not, end quote. Another subtitle, what we can learn from people who are good at self-control. So who are these people who are rarely tested by temptations and what can we learn from them? There are a few overlapping lessons from this new science. So before we get into the lessons, stallion breaking here, basically what the research is finding is that exerting self-control didn't help anybody. What helped people was the temptation not being there in the first place, right? Like the cookies not even really existing. Okay. And the understanding that this is how humans operate and that this whole concept of, oh, if you just control yourself, oh, put down the fork, oh, do this, blah, 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 is nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. So, but there's a, there's a little bit of a trick here that I, I want to read to you as we go down this, uh, you know, what, what are the lessons from this new science? One, People are better at self-control. Uh, people who are better at self-control actually enjoy the activities some of us resist, like eating healthy, studying, or exercising. And stallion breaking, and this might be the biggest one that I want to I want to concentrate on. But we'll go through all of them. Here we go. So engaging in these activities isn't a chore for them. It's fun. Quote: Want to uh, want to goals are more likely to be obtained than have to goals. End quote. Uh, Milius Vak, boy, that name's terrible. Uh, says, uh, says, quote, want, want to goals, as in want dash to, want to goals 
led to experiences of fewer temptations. It's easier to pursue those goals. It, f- it feels more effortless, end quote. If you're running because you have to get in shape, but find running to be a miserable activity, you're probably not going to keep it up. That means that uh, an activity you like is more likely to be repeated than an activity you hate. Um, so the next one they get into about learning better habits and everything. But this is a huge deal. And, and, and I, I want to talk about this part. But actually thinking about it, let's go down the rest of this article. Then I want to I really want to concentrate on that. OK, so here's number two, uh, as far as like lessons learned about this, about that, that self-control is, as being a beneficial thing is really a myth. Even though they'll say in the article that like tossing out the concept of self-control whole cloth uh, isn't exactly what we want to do. But, you know, thinking that that's the solution to everything is completely off base. But number two here, uh, people who are good at self-control have learned better habits. In 2015, psychologist Brian Gala and Angela Duckworth published a paper in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, finding across six studies and more than 2,000 participants that people who are good at self-control also tend to have good habits, like exercising regularly, eating healthy, sleeping well, and studying. Quote, people who are good at self-control seem to be structuring their lives in a way to avoid uh, having to make a self-control decision in the first place. Uh, end quote, Gala tells me. And structuring your life is a skill. People who do the same activity, like running or meditating, at the same time each day have an easier time accomplishing their goals, he says. Not because of their willpower, but because the routine makes it easier. Stallion breaking in. So this is, you know, saying, you know, having your daily rituals, your daily routines and all that. Very important. You could say, well, I need willpower to even be able to do that. We'll talk about that more a little bit. A trick to wake up more quickly in the morning reading on is to set the alarm on the other side of the room. That's not that's not in the moment willpower at play. It's planning. So they're saying, you know, this isn't like, oh, you have willpower to get up in the morning. This is I set up a plan that forces me in a way to to really get up Um, anyway. Reading on this theory harks back to one of the classic studies on self-control. Walter Mischel's marshmallow test conducted in the 1960s and 70s. In these tests, kids were told they could either eat one marshmallow sitting in front of them immediately or eat two later. The ability to resist was found to correlate with all sorts of positive life outcomes like SAT scores and BMIs. Uh, Of course, that's body mass indexes. But the kids who were best at the test weren't necessarily intrinsically better at resisting temptation. They might have been employing a critical strategy. Quote, Mischel has consistently found that the crucial factor in delaying gratification is the ability to change your perception of the object or action you want to resist. End quote. The New Yorker reported in in 2014. That means kids who avoided eating the first marshmallow would find ways not to look at the candy or imagine it as something else. Quote, the really good dieter wouldn't buy a, pu- a cupcake, end quote, Fujita explains. They wouldn't have passed in front of a bakery when they saw the cupcake. They would have figured out a way to say yuck instead of yum. They might have an automatic reaction to moving away instead of moving close, end quote. So stallion breaking and what they're saying is, is that you would you'd pull off some kind of mental trickery. Uh, you would plan something out in your head to where if you know you want something, but you don't really want it, you know, to meet your goals in life or whatever, um, you do some kind of mental trickery to keep you from from going for it. Okay, which, you know, that's something to, to, to run with. Anyway, number three, some people just experience fewer temptations. Our dispositions are determined in part by our genetics. Some people are hungrier than others. Some people love gambling and shopping. People high in conscientiousness, a personality trait largely set by genetics, tend to be more vigilant, uh, tend to be more vigilant students and tend to be healthier. When it comes to self-control, they won the genetic lottery. So Sally, breaking in for a second on this. 
some people, you know, are just literally it's just that they won a genetic lottery. They're good at like self-control and at, I guess at willpower. It doesn't necessarily, you know, has nothing to do with, Oh, well, you know, this person is this type and this person's this type, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's complete genetic roll of the dice, whether or not somebody is good at, you know, at, at willpower has nothing to do with skin color or any other, you know, crap like that, that people would say, well, white people are better. Well, that fucking ridiculous. One only need to go into just about any casino to figure that part out. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, but there there are genetic traits involved, okay, uh, with this. So, anyway, um, let's go on to number four. It's easier to have self-control when you're wealthy. Ooh. When Mitchell's marshmallow test is repeated on poorer kids, there's a clear trend. They perform worse and appear less able to resist the treat in front of them. But there's a good reason for this. As University of Oregon neuroscientist Elliot Berkman argues, people who grow up in poverty are more likely to focus on immediate rewards than long-term rewards. Because when you're poor... The future is less certain. Now, Stanley breaking in on that. Okay, I get what they're saying here, and I think there's some truth to that. When you're poor, there's also kind of mental trickery, or not mental trickery, but a perception of the world you can have where you, I mean, how many people grow up and say, you know, I had no idea that I was poor when I was a kid. You know, I, I thought that that's just what you do. You play with sticks and all this stuff, and I didn't necessarily have the latest G.I. Joe toy or something like that, right? Uh, so that, that can there's there's truth to it but that can also be something that that comes down to perspective and comes down to a child's perspective say um but you know i mean that that's that's a huge conversation to have so anyway let's read on with the next subtitle here that's the four lessons learned that they went down uh researchers want to figure out if self-control could feel effortless the new research on self-control demonstrates that eating an extra slice of cake isn't a moral failing it's what we ought to expect when a hungry person is in front of a slice of cake Stanley breaking in, they're basically saying, look, it's just human. You're not a lesser person because, holy shit, you know, you had another piece of pizza. Reading on, quote, self-control isn't a special moral muscle, Gala says. It's like any decision. And to improve the decision, we need to improve the environment and give people the skills needed to avoid cake in the first place. Quote, there are many ways of achieving successful self-control, and we've really only been looking at one of them, end quote, which is effortful restraint, Berkman tells, tells me. The previous leading theory on willpower called ego depletion has recently come under intense scrutiny for not replicating. So basically what they're saying is, is that, you know, this, this like concept of ego depletion or like decision fatigue where, you know, you have to make so many choices in a day, your willpower actually goes down. That's not replicable. And, you know, through various studies that have been looked at, um, they can't find where in any way that the human condition actually works that way or that human willpower works in that way where ego depletion is a thing. Um, and one of the things that gets pointed at the stallion talking here, one of the things that gets pointed at with that is that. Just in publishing results, okay, from scientific research, there is a a predilection, there is a, a bias to show either false positives or to show false positives or, of course, you know, like, say, positive results. But th- there's this bias to actually not show inconclusive results. Like, nobody wants to write down or publish inconclusive results from research. And this bias exists there. And because of that... We've got to question a lot of the papers that have been put out there, especially when it comes to psychology. And it's a scary thing that a lot of this stuff could, you know, like all the research done on ego depletion and decision fatigue and all this. You know, when the scientists were doing their research on that, they weren't willing to publish inconclusive results to show that maybe, you know, this this idea of willpower, a lot of that's bullshit or a lot of what we think about it is bullshit. 
because no one wanted to publish inconclusive results. Instead, they just ran with the false positives or the positive, you know, the positives coming out of the research. So that's a very real problem. Um, and, and that's what they're referencing here when they talk about that ego depletion doesn't work the way that, you know, that it can't be replicated. And when you actually look at the data, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. This doesn't say that at all. Like this whole idea of decision fatigue and all these other things may not actually be legit. So uh, reading on with the story here, Berkman argues that the term self-control ought to be abolished altogether. Uh, quote, it's no different than any other decision making. End quote, he says the new research isn't yet conclusive on whether it's really possible to teach people the skills needed to make self-control feel effortless. More work needs to be done, designing interventions and evaluating their outcomes over time. But it at least gives researchers a fresh perspective to test out new solutions. In Berkman's lab, he's testing out an idea called motivational boost. Participants write essays explaining how their goals, like losing weight, fit into their core values. Berkman will periodically text study participants to remind them why their goals matter, which may increase motivation. Quote, we are still gathering data, but I cannot say whether it works or not. End quote, he says. Another intriguing idea is called temptation bundling, in which people make activities more enjoyable by adding a fun component to them. One paper showed that the participants were more likely to work out when they could listen to an audio copy of The Hunger Games at the gym or while at the gym. Researchers are excited about their new perspective on self-control. Quote, it's exciting because we're maybe about to break through on a whole variety of new strategies and interventions that we would have never thought about, end quote, Gallo says. He and others are looking beyond the just-say-no approach of the past uh, to boost motivation with the help of smartphone apps and other technology. This is not to say all effortful restraint is useless, but rather it should be seen as a last-ditch effort to save ourselves from bad behavior. Quote, because even if the angel loses most of the time, there's a chance every now and again the angel will win, Fujita says. It's a defense of last resort. So the basic idea is they're trying to figure out how do you get people to make, say, and, you know, health healthy or healthier is a subjective term, right? But how do you get people to make healthier choices in life? Okay, now one could argue this is behavioral psychology. It is and it isn't. I mean, it can fall under kind of self-help as well, which one could say is all part of behavioral psychology. Behavioral psychology gets can be seen as a very ugly word. So I want to kind of steer, steer clear of that. But I think this research is really important because it's laying out. No, there is nothing wrong with someone because they want another piece of cake or because they do have another piece of cake. They're just being human. This is just this is how we operate. This is how we work. This idea that there's some kind of like incredible person uh, that you can train or you can teach, at least again, some of it might just be a genetic component, like was described that, you know, that has self-control and only chooses the healthy way and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that like that's all crap. Stop that. Now, a few points on what they're saying here. OK, and I, I think that they don't go far enough, even though the implications are there in what they're saying and what their research, what you know, these psychologists, what the research is finding, like particularly with number one, that people who are better at self-control actually enjoy activities. Some of us resist. Now, I think this has actually really broad ramifications, and that is, is that some of the things that we consider, like I said, healthy is a subjective term. Some of the things that say Western civilization, whatever the fuck that means they say is unhealthy actually might not be unhealthy at all. Like some of these temptations like, Oh, I shouldn't sleep with that woman or I shouldn't sleep with that guy or I shouldn't do this or Holy shit. You know, I, I mean, wh whatever, maybe those things are actually quite okay. And maybe that's all just some kind of social construct that you're being told to buy into. And you know, this, this thing that, Oh, well, you got to have self-control and you got to have faith and blah, 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 you know, and, and all this is it, just, is nonsense. 
Okay, and science is starting to back this up. I mean, I really think this is going so far as to say, in a very real way, I think this is going so far as to say that conservatism as an ideology, okay, like American conservatism, uh, you know, as like like the political ideology of that, or you know, the the family life, this this kind of stuff. Like, I'm not saying having a family is against the human condition, but I'm saying conservatism itself might actually be against the human condition. Okay, and you can't teach it; it's not something learned, and this is why. When a fundamentalist Christian pastor wants to, you know, <laughs> have have uh, well, really, you know, have gay sex with another guy, obviously, uh, you know, he's not giving into the devil. He's just expressing his own very nature, you know, of the human condition. Right. It's not that he needed self-control or anything like that. I, 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 it's so hilarious when Christians say that. Oh, no, you can be gay. You just have to have self-control. No, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. And, and I think that that's the other beauty of this, too, because it's something that I've brought up many times is that, like the concept of morality and rights. I mean, these are really are social constructs, but there are what you could call you know, biological universals or biological functions that humans operate under that that actually creates, you know, for each individual, what is right and wrong. And it's different for everybody. Sometimes it has to do a genetic lottery. Sometimes it doesn't. Okay. Uh, you know, sometimes maybe it can be taught to a certain degree, but this is really, really interesting research that points at this whole idea of is that, oh, you got to, you know, we need delayed gratification. We need this, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. OK, we need to diagnose these desires as that they are completely natural and normal or we need to stop diagnosing these desires and recognize that they are normal and natural things. OK, and then if you want to change that, first off, accept that, accept that fact. OK, that these these are matters of biology. OK, maybe some degree of, of learning, but if it's learning, then you can unlearn it. OK, but it might be a major part of biology of the human condition, except that then you can work on things from there. Now, there's solutions. I don't know how I feel about you getting like texted to remind you to do this or that. I mean, that can that can be helpful. Like if someone texts you every day, you know, very kindly, a friend or whatever and says, hey, you know, did you meditate today? You know, I did. And blah. I mean, like that can that can be a very helpful little motivational boost. I could get behind that. Um, I do worry that with a lot of smartphone apps that are supposed to help you make, quote unquote, healthier decisions. And again, that's a subjective term, um, you know, like that that can turn into gamification where it turns it into a game and it's not really an intrinsic thing that you want to do. You want it to become an intrinsic motivation somehow. That doesn't mean that I think the idea of adding a fun component is a bad idea. I actually think it's a great one, um, but you don't need a smartphone to do that. Okay. You don't need something attached to your hip at all times to be able to do that. Use your own imagination. For example, I've talked about this a few times and I get a lot of questions about this. I get a ton of fitness questions and I'm not even, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fit guy, you know, I mean, like I, I, I don't want to call myself a bodybuilder. Okay. But you know, I'm, I'm a big guy and I, you know, I, I lift, I literally lift weights every day. Okay. You know, I constantly work out and I work out for mass. Like I'm not just working out to, uh, you know, have a, a you know, to be really like conditioned for strength conditioning or something like that. I want to, you know, I am, I work out to be a very large person. All right. I'm never going to go IFBB pro, but I wouldn't mind looking like some of those guys at all, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of going for it. But I've talked about it before. I've done specials on it on Patreon and so on because I get so many questions about it. And I've described where at some point and it happens like after a year or so. And I've worked out off and on throughout my life. But now, like, it's been a while where, you know, it's been some years where like literally every day I'm working out uh, and it's usually lifting weights. 
there's a point where you have a mental like what I call your 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 mind breaks. You have a mental break. Okay, not a breakdown, but a break where it suddenly you want to do that action. In this case, working out in the gym, you know, or you know, lifting weights more than you want to do the other things, more than you want to say work, just just work or more than you want to play video games or more than you want to do this. That happens. Okay, and that only but how that happens is it's kind of what this article described, where it turns into routine and then, you know, but I added things into it. First off is that it became a time for me to not have to look at a screen. Okay, so there was a benefit to doing this. It was a better option than what I would do otherwise, because with my work, you know, uh, the clients I have and all these other things like I am just nonstop looking at a fucking screen and I am tired of it. Okay, it's been too long. I'm done with it. You know, like I, I, I mean, I, I know I have to do it at some points, even to do things that I enjoy. Okay, but working out gives me that excuse that is still what I consider to be a healthy choice, you know, and something that's beneficial to me overall for my entire life goals in general. And it's important to have life goals set, you know, to know where you want to be. What do you want? You have to answer that question, I think, before you can even, you know, start talking about the concept of what your goals are and where self-control or motivation would come into play with that. All right. Or even, you know, what you consider right and wrong would come into play. But there's that benefit for me that there is there is something I enjoy more about doing that than I would the alternative, even if it's something even if the alternative is pleasurable. Okay, but you you know, you got to think about it in that way that kind of gets into that shifting of the mind. And maybe that's the break. Um, The other thing I do and I don't need a smartphone for this is honestly, I mean, I'll I'll be straight up when I'm working out. um, I am imagining some very sexy shit going on or that someone is saying to me if I'm working out alone, I'm not always working out alone, but if I'm working out alone, like someone saying, you know, I mean, you think it sounds ridiculous, but whatever, you know, if you want me to take a picture and show you uh, the results are in. Okay. The nice thing about working out is you can show the results, right? And you can tell people to fuck off if they say, well, you're not working out hard enough. Okay. Take a look at that. You know, when you have 19 inch biceps or, you know, 19 inch arms, what do you, uh, you know, go ahead, tell me (laughs) that I'm not doing it right. Um, but I mean, I'm not boasting, I'm just saying, but you know, like I'll imagine, you know, someone like is saying to me or, you know, like, Oh yeah, you know, I love how big your muscles are and all this sort of stuff. And I'll just imagine that in my head. And that's where they're getting to their point of making it fun. I don't need to gamify it. Okay. I just, you know, need to do something that gives me pleasure in the action of what I'm doing. So I think that this is a great thing. But again, you know, that pleasure that I am imagining is also one that society probably would tell me is not a good thing. Well, fuck society. What matters are as me as an individual are my my goals and achieving my fucking goals. Because, again, what this is really pointing at is that there really are no rules like like this is it all so much just comes down to biology. Okay, and and I think that that's that's not a bad thing. It's something to take on to 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 accept and take it on head on. And then you can figure out how to achieve your goals from there. But also, of course, you have to come up with your goals. You have to know what your goals are. Okay, in the first place. But this whole idea that, oh, everybody can think the same and act the same. This this whole notion that self-control is a myth and it is really proves the point, you know, just the, the importance of individuality and the importance of treating everything case by case and that everybody is an individual and that everybody, you know, isn't the same. Okay. Just because someone else, you know, wants to have three pieces of cake and you're able to only eat one. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them. That doesn't mean that they need to engage in more self-control. You need to accept that that's who they are. 
And if they want to make a difference, if they want to make a change, then they can start with the man in mirror. And you know, they can start with the man in the mirror, like Michael Jackson said, and they can go forward. Right, and they can build on top of that once they accept that this is, you know, the first off, like that this whole shaming around self control, this whole shaming around delayed gratification and all this stuff, you know, is is just is crap. It has no place in actual science. It has no place in understanding how humans operate. So just a beautiful article. I recommend rereading it. And there's lots of links within the uh, within the article itself that point to where they, you know, uh, that goes much deeper uh, into the subject, including around where the ideas that ego depletion and decision fatigue might be bullshit. So anyway, uh, yeah, I really can't, uh, you know, can't thank um, Robin uh, enough for sending me uh, this article because I, I just thought it was uh, dynamite. And of course, if you want to hear he and I talking stuff up, we have a great time. Uh, talk about having adding fun into some stuff, right? <laughs> Because how does the stallion record all these podcasts? Well, I make them fun. And when I do it with Robin, it's a great time. So make sure you become a patron. Go to SovereignTech.com to do that. And you can hear us on the Star Wars update. It's fucking great. Uh, anyway, all right. I'll be right back with some more Woo, Sovereign Tech. Hey, baby, I know. I know. You are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to FastMail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup. And it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. This week in blockchain. Ooh, it's time to talk some blockchains, baby. And, you know, I'll tell you, so this is actually, I'm kind of going to mix in important messages with this segment because this is an article that got sent in to me and pretty much the person wanted to know what I thought about it. Um, and it's a subject I've talked about before. Uh, but this is an article, very fresh. Uh, I, I just came out... Uh, like Tuesday, and that is from Gizmodo, and it's uh, by Ryan F. Mandelbaum, fairly intelligent guy. Uh, blockchain is especially at risk for quantum attacks, scientists warn. So, and we'll break in a little bit to the story. I don't need to read the whole thing because it's kind of this is something that has come up for a lot of people, um, but I do want to address it uh, here again, you know, because it. We're open to that. So blockchain, here's the story. Blockchain is meant to be secure, but a new paper from quantum computing scientists warns that quickly advancing quantum technology poses a vulnerability for the much hyped blockchain. Uh, blockchain is the technology behind Bitcoin, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, quote. Um, well, here, all right, I'll read that th these next couple paragraphs. Blockchain is the technology behind Bitcoin. It's found uses as a secure digital ledger and authentication system maintained by its users rather than one by one central authority. Uh, but quantum computers may soon have the ability to break its codes. <gasps> Quote, quantum computers pose a risk to any kind of security where public key cryptography is involved. End quote. Alexander Lovovsky, uh, experimental physicist at the Univers University of Oxford, told Gizmodo, quote, however, blockchains are especially at risk because they're completely anonymous. They're only protected by public public key cryptography, whereas banking has human tellers, plastic cards and ATMs. You have to be a human to use a bank, but you don't have to be a human to use the blockchain. End quote. 
and, and then it kind of breaks down into where it's saying that, well, effectively with the Shores algorithm, whatever, you know, quantum computing could effectively break all public key cryptography. And that's not just blockchain. I mean, lots of things use public key cryptography, right? I mean, you know, go down the list, PGP. I mean, like all kinds of things, uh, you know, will end up, end up using that. And yeah, this is a concern that people have been aware of, honestly, for years. And I think it's probably been a few years since the last time uh, that I that I talked about this. So I want to say it was maybe in 2014. I read a book uh, called Post Quantum Computing Cryptography. And when I read this book, um, I had said at the time that I wasn't and I talked about it on Sovereign Tech. I said I wasn't like really convinced by at the time a lot of the methods that were getting in that were uh, you know talked about that could effectively help, you know, get attached to effectively, you know, become a layer on public key cryptography. That would be a bit of a bulwark um, against quantum computers. OK. So now to talk about quantum computers, which we have recently on the show as well, but I'll just say it in brief. Quantum computers are computers that can, I mean, a lot of people come up with different descriptions and apparently people think it's a hard thing to conceive. But, you know, a, a digital computer is called digital because it computes in ones and zeros. OK, a quantum computer can do one and zero at the same time. And so it can, you know, it can effectively compute things exponentially faster than your everyday computer that we know today. All right. Um, and within that, okay, is the concern that it could, you know, it could break through, you know, algorithmically could break through all kinds of, uh, you know, modern day encryption and cryptography. Uh, and and I get that. And the argument is fairly sound that, you know, left alone, it could. Um, but people are are already, you know, as far as my thoughts on this. OK. And whether this research paper says, oh, it's, we're going to they're going to be able to break blockchain. Now, making the argument that, well, banks are better because, you know, like you still have to deal with the, with a human being and all this. I mean. That's a that's a little little fallacious to say that somehow, oh, you know, banks aren't in trouble because there's humans involved. I mean, that that's that's ridiculous. OK, uh, I mean, banks, we know plenty of cases where, OK, fine, maybe quantum computing won't affect banks, but there's already been plenty of ways that we've covered over the years where small amounts of money are getting constantly siphoned away from banks and they don't realize it, but it's so many banks that it gets siphoned from. It's actually a substantial amount of money. Um, there's all kinds of crazy bullshit that goes on uh, in the banking in the legacy banking system, as we like to call it, uh, that, you know, you don't even need quantum computers to break it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a flawed system from the get go uh, to say nothing of its, you know, centralized nature. Right. Or the fact that that government is effectively deciding uh, in, in many ways. Well, not exactly government deciding, but government's issuing it. Uh, you know, the, the fact that blockchain doesn't have necessarily a central authority is the advantage, not the disadvantage. And it's the disadvantage for the banks. So that that's a that's an ugly argument to try and make that somehow banks are better because they may be some kind of bulwark against quantum computing, uh, breaking encryption. Uh, that's nonsense. Now, admittedly banking, uh, and this is the first implementation of this, but literally a quantum internet, or should I say maybe quantum ethernet connections? Okay. They don't call it ethernet, but that's the basic idea is that you have a, you know, like a literally a quantum internet connection between two machines. Um, these are being implemented in banks. Now, the problem is, is that you can't really like make 
a full network and you can't really connect it to the internet when you're using this technology. Okay. Um, like it, it's very, very narrow in what can, what it can do and how it ends up no longer being secure if you, you know, connect things outside of that. But point being is that there are, first off, there are alternative infrastructures. Okay. That could be used like that, that actually use really a form of quantum encryption. That's hardline that could end up becoming the backbone of a blockchain that, okay, fine, you know, bring on all the quantum computers that you want, but you know, this, this effectively, this quantum internet again, which already exists, it's already being used in, uh, I mean, it's not like widely, you know, applied because it's kind of limited right now, but this is something that, you know, if, if you can't break the actual connection itself between the two computers, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if you can break the public key cryptography because you can't break into the, you know, you can't break into the network itself. So it's not going to happen. So, I mean, there's solutions like that. That's one. Um, some people talk about like uh, what they would call kind of lattice encryption where, and, and this is something that's very, a very popular idea that I haven't been totally sold on, but it's out there and I, I get it. And people are trying for it where effectively it is a layer that you would put over just about anything that's not like public key cryptography against quantum computers that would make it significantly harder not to say that it would it would stop quantum computing completely from say breaking you know public key cryptography but it would make it harder for it to do so uh so you know that's something that people are looking to we talked maybe a month or two ago uh, about BlackBerry, they are already trying to come up with a software hardware hybrid solution um, for securing all kinds of uh, of devices. Um, we, you know, we we brought that up during a wildcard segment uh, not long ago. So, and and this is kind of the point: is that okay? Even the, it, first off, quantum computing I think is pretty far down the line. Um, even if it is far down the line, if it's down the line at all, yes, you want to figure out how to stop it from you know being a problem. We know that it could be a problem. So, you know, now is the time, even though quantum computing hasn't gotten to the power where it's any kind of threat, say, to blockchain. We know that that could be. And so now you can start implementing things that would thwart uh, quantum computing. And you don't need a quantum computer to come up with encryption schemes that can thwart quantum computing. So it's not to me, it's not that big of a concern. There are plenty of people working on it. um, And you better believe that if you're saying, well, you know, this isn't something I'd want to leave to open source hobbyists or anything. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> if it's a direct threat to blockchain, you better believe there's a lot of people with a lot of money on the line that are willing to fund the solution to this. And it ain't going to be hobbyists doing it. This is going to be people making. I mean, you're going to have X prizes on how to solve, uh, you know, encryption against quantum computing. So I, I think this is going to end up being an absolute reality. If, if anything, actually, this is an area where perhaps machine learning and AI could get really interesting, um, where we've talked about that before, where I think Google set up. Uh, or maybe it was just at a competition at an AI competition where we're two bots effectively and, and using AI, AI is just kind of a silly term, but, but two bots that will say not AGI, not artificial general intelligence like Skynet, but just AI, uh, created an encryption scheme where people were, were effectively the programmers had no idea what the hell they were doing. They came up with their own encryption scheme that they used between each other. It was kind of wild news because everybody was saying, oh, you know, the, the, the computers are talking to each other. We don't know what they're saying. Holy shit. No, it's what they were designed to do. They're were, they were designed to come up with an encryption 
that its own creators couldn't understand. That was the fucking point. All right. That doesn't make them like intelligent. That just means they did what they're programmed to do. <laughs> so, uh, but something like that where, you know, a, a really a non-human intelligence, not necessarily a superior intelligence, but a more specialized, shall we say, intelligence comes up with some kind of encryption scheme. I think you could totally use AI or machine learning or whatever term you want to throw at that, uh, you know, to figure, to, to come up with something that could best quantum computing, in my opinion. So, no, I'm not worried about this at all. Uh, the solutions are already well underway. And if you haven't heard about them, it's probably because they're being worked on. So, anyway, all right, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Ooh, great question, by the way. Great question. We'll be right back with more. Hey, I know what you're thinking. Wow. This is a great fucking show. And you know what? I agree with you. And I'm not just saying it because I'm the host, Woo! but I am the podcast champion, baby. And let me tell you, if you want to help out the podcast champion, you want to help out the golden stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, and you want to make sovereign tech an even bigger show. Here's how you do it. And don't worry, it's not for free and you get something out of it. You go to Patreon, you go to patreon.com slash sovereign tech, S-O-V-R-Y-N tech, patreon.com slash sovereign tech, become a sovereign tech patron and you will get access to literally thousands of hours of bonus content. There's new content every week. You get to be in the live Q&A hangouts that we do every month. You get to access to the Wednesday Q&A. Do you like that important messages segment? We do one every single week and it goes a good hour strong, if not longer, if needed, depending on how many questions there are. That's only for patrons. And all you got to do is at least a dollar a month. Some do significantly more and I'm honored by that. But become a patron, support the show, help it grow. Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. And I thank you to all the patrons already out there and all the ones to come. Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Hacksack. It is time for Hacksack, where we talk issues of hacking and security. And woo boy. So we got a little bit of a mystery on our hands here. And wow, do, you know, another week where we get to talk about Amazon. What a surprise. Uh, wow. H- how about, you know, <laughs> how about them fucking with having two headquarters? What was the one? One in, uh, it was a Crystal City there in Virginia, and they're going to put the other one in New York. Just, just made a mockery of the whole competition to get the Eastern headquarters of Amazon, didn't it? No, we'll give it to two cities, you know, after everybody gave them the sweet deals. <laughs> Unbelievable, that company. You know, I will tell you, um, before we get into the story about them, I have been, you know, I mentioned earlier how I, I do work out, um, you know, regularly. I mean, I take supplements, you know, protein, BCAAs, uh, you know, I do a pre-workout, um, creatine, all of that. And, uh, Amazon recently got into the supplement biz. They have their own brand, Own Power. It's O W N P W R. And I was kind of surprised by this. First off, I was surprised that they were even getting in the supplement business. You know, like that that didn't exactly make sense to me. Uh but Stephanie actually kind of illuminated the situation and said, well, you know, the supplement business is completely unregulated. So, you know, it's, it's an easy thing to get into. Um, I mean, granted, you know, Jeff Bezos is Jack these days, but <laughs> which who, who knows why? Uh, I mean, hey, you know, if he just wants to look good, you know, look good naked, maybe. Well, rock and roll, go for it uh, or just look like a tough guy that that's OK. But. Anyway, um, I was kind of surprised and, and I've actually I've tested it out just because. All right. I got to know, like, what does 
Because this is something that's getting pretty crazy with Amazon, right? Is that they are, you know, the hundreds, they, they have hundreds of brands that you don't know that are Amazon. Now, own power, you do know that that's Amazon. They admit it. Um, but a lot of them, you have no idea that what you just bought on Amazon was actually an Amazon created product because not everything's labeled as Amazon basics. Um, now, the interesting thing with with own power, with all those supplements, is that they're not at like the lowest price. Like they, they, in fact, they're far from the lowest price um, product, you know, supplements like be it the pre-workout drink or the BCAAs. And it's pretty basic what they're going with. Like they have like glutamine. That might be the more oddball that they have, even though glutamine is kind of uh, not unpopular. OK, in in bodybuilding. But anyway, I mean, they keep it pretty basic, which is good because I, I like to keep it pretty basic. And but, I, you know, I've tried it out. I've tried their pre-workout drink. I've tried their BCAAs. I've tried their creatine and I have tried their their mid-grade uh, protein powder. OK, uh, again, not they are not muscle farms cheaper than them. And there's there's other like now and now foods and others that are significantly cheaper than Amazon. This is probably the first case where the Amazon product, uh, the, the officially Amazon branded product is of is not the least expensive. Even when you go to the lowest grade uh, protein powder from own power, it's still more expensive than a lot of stuff from muscle farm, uh, which, which really surprised me, but they're, you know, in, in their advertising, they're banking very hard. They're saying, no, these are premium products. This is the real deal. So maybe that's why they feel like they can charge a little bit of a premium, a little bit. I mean, they're not outrageous prices, um, but they're, you know, they're, they're not the cheapest either, which you would expect. Um, but I've been, honestly, I've been pleasantly surprised. I don't think I'm going to stick with them. Um, I enjoy, you know, some of my other brands more than I enjoy, uh, own power, but I was pleasantly surprised that I, I think they've been doing fine. The, the protein powder is delicious and it mixes very well. Their creatine is, their creatine is very cheap. That, that is on, I mean, and, and it's good creatine. Uh, also, you know, their, their pre-workout does the job. I mean, does the job very well. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've just, I've been, I'm shocked, you know, that they came out with this good of a product. Um, for something that is, a, I mean, it's a pretty competitive space, but again, it's unregulated. So it's an easy thing for them to, uh, you know, to really get into. And I think it may have a lot to do with also not just that it's unregulated, but it's also putting them in the health industry in a very real way, uh, which, you know, they've been trying to get into, didn't they, they bought pill pack, right? They've, they've, they've bought into the health industry there. They even have, they kind of broker health insurance in a way, um, kind of in, and some other things. So not, not so much of a surprise. I can kind of see why they did it, but anyway, we're not really here to talk about that. Um, <laughs> so while their protein powder may be good, Amazon's actual security for its customers. Well, that may not be so good. Let's talk about it. And the story here is by uh, Rose Behar from November 21st, 2018. So very fresh Amazon from Android police. Amazon admits to customer data exposure, but is exceedingly cagey on details. And oh, yes, they are. Let's read the story. We're deep in the throes of Black Friday week. Of course, you know, this past week, which one might imagine is generally the jolliest time of the year for Amazon. However, the massive global e-commerce platform has just revealed some less than jolly news. It inadvertently disclosed customer email addresses due to a quote unquote technical error. Now, before I go any further on that. Let's talk about Black Friday for a second. Is there any point to this day anymore? <laughs> I mean, like I was getting emails two weeks ago that the Black Friday deals were, I mean, and, and Android police might be accurate. 
and calling it Black Friday week. It's like a whole week now. You know, like Black Friday, the day I, I would think is fucking meaningless or I think it's going to disappear like inside of five years. I don't think Black Friday is going to mean anything. Um, and, and with Amazon, you know, becoming more and more, you know, this powerhouse, uh, despite that they may not be the best stewards of your data, um, becoming this powerhouse, like you don't go to the store anymore unless you're all going to line up at an Amazon store. But, well, that's going to get weird. <laughs> I mean, it already is weird. So anyway, just a little thought on Black Friday. And, you know, that's fine because we don't need people getting trampled on and dying uh, anymore for this kind of shit. But uh, uh, all right. Ne- never mind. Let, let's let's keep reading. Customers in the U.S., U.K. and Europe who were wait, U.K. and Europe. Right. Brexit. Uh, who were affected by this data exposure were alerted via a brief email sent by the company on Wednesday, November 21st. The email states only that the data was exposed and that the issue has since been fixed. It concludes with the following statement, quote, this is not a result of anything you have done and there is no need for you to change your password or take any other action. End quote. And there is a well. There is a shocking, and, and I think that the article mentions it. You can see it if you go to the link in the show notes for this episode, episode 303 of Sovereign Tech. Uh, this is a very brief email, and that's a problem. The article kind of highlights the fact, but we'll talk about it. The final instruction isn't having the soothing effect on customers that has no, that was no doubt intended with many taking to social media to express their discontent. Additionally, the fact that the email is so short and lacking in branded design elements provoked concerns for some that it was a phishing attempt from a non Amazon entity. Uh, this is not the case. Amazon has confirmed the exposure to the media, noting that names were also exposed. So we have emails and names exposed, Stanley breaking in, but there's still much that remains mysterious. How many customer emails were exposed? Which of Amazon's sites were, uh, were impacted? Who could have gained access to the emails and names? Amazon refuses to indulge anything further. With so little known about the exposure, it's difficult for cons- uh, for customers to trust Amazon as handling the problem properly, instead putting them in the vulnerable position, vulnerable position of having to blindly accept a few terse lines in a sketchy-looking email. It al- it's also unclear if Amazon has reported the exposure to any government regulatory bodies. For now, all we know, or for now, all we know is that Amazon found a flaw serious enough to warrant a mass email during one of its largest sales periods, and it believes there's no reason to change your password. But honestly, you may as well. And if you're unhappy with the way this is being handled, as you have ample reason to be, a sternly worded tweet or email couldn't hurt. So anyway, I don't think Amazon's going to give a shit about your tweet or email. <laughs> Just look at what happened with the NAS Classic. They don't give a goddamn shit about anything. <laughs> but, but regardless of that, um, now you might be saying, okay, so people found out a bunch of emails and maybe the names attached. Um, what's the big deal here? The big deal may not so much. I mean, there can be genuine like identity concerns with depending upon who could a- who was able to access this and the lack of openness is a very real problem certainly to bring up which this article does point out uh the lack of transparency she would say on amazon's part of what exactly went down the email was way too brief and did look ugly uh you know didn't look like a legit email from amazon which is a problem in itself and it really is um you know all of this lends to the point really that amazon is i mean well none of these companies well for it lends to two things okay one is is that 
Centralized servers and personal data, bad idea. This is why you want blockchain. Okay. The other is that it points out is that all of these tech giants, not, you know, we can point at Facebook all day long. We could point at all these other, you know, any tech giant all day long. You know, Amazon is right. Pretty much it's all of them are shitty. I mean, maybe you want to say Apple, but even then I, I wonder, um, you know, they're shitty stewards of your data. They really are. Uh, and this lack of transparency does not inspire confidence um, whatsoever. OK, now, you know, what what do you do about this? Well, there's really nothing that, you know, that you can do. I mean, the interesting thing is, is that Amazon actually really doesn't care what your name is like that. That's kind of a funny thing. Now, I, I mean, because they're so scant on information, like it does make you worry. Was there credit card information that was shared? Something like this. Um you know, we don't know. I mean, that, that this is the real problem is the it's the lack of transparency here. Um, but one thing I mean, maybe that can kind of mitigate it is that you really can get, you know, get anything shipped. I mean, they'll accept any email address. Amazon will. And Amazon will. While you need to have a valid a vet, not email address, but a valid address to ship to. They'll take any name you put in there. You know, I mean, you, you could say you're, you know, Herbal Hoffenpfaffer or something and, and you know, They'll, they'll they'll mail it to herbal Hoffenpopper. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. So and that's that's kind of always been a, a point in the favor of Amazon is that you could be somewhat anonymous, uh, somewhat with your purchases. You know, um, I mean, they do. The funny thing is, is that they've actually been I've noticed some newer Amazon services require a credit card, not a debit card, not a preloaded card or anything like, like, a you know, a gift card, money card, whatever, but they actually want a, you know, they, they want like a, you need to have a credit card to take advantage of a certain service that Amazon is offering. So it, the ability to buy anonymously on Amazon and, you know, to ship anonymously and other things is somewhat fading. Okay, but that would have been a way to really, you know, resolve perhaps concerns around this. Of course, the other thing is, is that, you know, Amazon said you don't need to change your password. Um, If you don't already have two factor authentication set up on your Amazon account, do so now. And I agree. You know, why not just change your fucking Amazon password because you're storing your passwords in LastPass or something similar. Right. Uh, you know, or somewhere where you can remember it. So it doesn't hurt to to go ahead and update it. In fact, it could be pretty easy. Um. I, I totally recommend, you know, doing that sort of thing. Uh, but again, this is one of those situations where if a company of this size feels the need to send, and if you got one of these emails, I mean, you know the deal, you know, to, to feels the need to send out a mass email like that, um, there needs to be some transparency as far as what the fuck is going on. Now, you could say, well, maybe they don't know yet what happened. Okay, well, yeah, I know it's going to make people panic, but you need to say we will keep you updated. We'll keep you posted, you know, and so on. They didn't even give the news much more information other than just confirming that, yeah, it was us that sent out this email. Um, these are the things to be really, you know, and, and all they also, as far as what they said happened, they said it was just a technical error. That could have been a hack or a crack. Totally could have been. Um, no matter the company, let's keep this in mind. Let's always keep this in mind. As far as the data that you give them, it's not if, it is when. It is going to leak. It's not if it is when keep that in mind. I'm not saying don't give them, you know, whatever data that they require to get what you want. I'm not saying don't do that. I am saying maybe you want to try and mitigate the what happens when that information leaks. 
You could use BS names. You could use B, whatever BS information you need to to make that happen. Use you know unimportant email addresses that aren't attached to anything else. Whatever it takes. Keep this in mind. No matter who, how big the company, how much of the internet they power, and Amazon powers a lot of it, no matter how secure they claim to be, it's not if, it is when your data is going to leak. Think about that. I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. The most incredible television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crawly. for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack this week's online review it is time for your for this week's online review where i scour the internet for the absolute best products with the best reviews that you may want to acquire. Now, this one happens to come from Amazon. There is a link in the show notes if you want to get your hands on it. Uh, in fact, honestly, there are only, it says only two left in stock. Order soon and uh, not eligible for Amazon Prime. So keep that in mind. But it's still an Amazon's choice. This is listed as an Amazon's choice. That is a little banner that will, well, that maybe that's why there's only two left in stock of this product. And uh, I'd like to read some of the reviews for you. That, that may convince you to get your hands on these. Uh, and it is a these, it's a plural, but comes in one pack. And these are Bic for her. That's Bic for her, as in for her, for, you know, your girlfriend, your wife, whatever. Or if you're a woman. Uh, fashion, Bic for her fashion retractable ball ballpoint pen. Medium point, one millimeter, assorted fashion ink to count. So, and again, link is in the show notes for this. Now, something I didn't do last week when we did our first uh, uh, this week's online review segment is I didn't read really what the product did. I mean, I, I kind of assumed you knew what a good colon cleanse was all about. But, um, but some people said, you know, well, you should tell us what the product does. So I will give you the product description here, and then we'll, we'll read some of the reviews um, for these incredible pens that, uh, again, Amazon's choice. I mean, that just says it all. You barely even need to read the reviews if it gets that. So the Bic for her is a pen designed just for her. It is a sleek pen silhouette and jeweled accents add style. Uh, it is, yeah, so well, th their description didn't, doesn't have the best grammar here. It has a soft contoured grip for all day comfort because, you know, women are just writing all day. Uh, <laughs> you know, pen pals and all that, right? Uh, yeah, it has a soft contoured grip for all day comfort and also features the easy glide system. It sounds like lube. Uh, Bix exclusive ink, but it's actually Bix exclusive ink technology for beautifully smooth writing. Also available in blue and black ink because I think uh, maybe it comes in like purple and yeah, there might be purple ink. I don't know. 
maybe pink ink. Do we do we have pink ink for the Bic for her pen? Anyway, let's read some of these reviews. I mean, this is this is a product. What do we got here? Uh, remarkable. Five star, 45% five stars, 23% one star. That's a, mm-hmm. a little bit of an odd choice. All right, let's start reading some of the reviews here. We'll, we'll, these are Some of these are a little shorter, so, you know, we'll, we'll read a couple. Um, and this is the first one from Paranoid56. After I helped her open the package, she was super happy. She can now write in great pink. Wait, so so there's, there's pink. Um, all right, let's read on. This, this is the review. That was the title of the review. I bought these for a woman at work as she couldn't figure out how to. <laughs> Sorry, this is very serious. I want you to purchase these. I bought these for a woman at work as she couldn't figure out how to use a man's pen. <laughs> After I helped her open the package, she was super happy. <laughs> She can now write in great pink and purple. I'm sorry. Very serious. Let me let me read the next one here. I gave these to all of the men in my I'm guessing in my office. Uh, I gave these to all of the men in my office and they all received pay cuts a few weeks later. Thanks, Bick, for helping me to bridge the pay gap, at least in my office. Bravo. Uh, Here's the next one from uh, from Caitlin Jackson. And it's titled Total Scam. Only gave it one star. Gave, gave these the Bic for her pens. After several hours of staring at these pens, I gave up. They didn't write anything. The next day, I asked the ladies in my book club to help me out. Since none of us can read, our book club is more of a martini. <laughs> anyway... I presented these pens to the other ladies, and again, several hours and several martinis later, the pens still hadn't written anything. If you're going to advertise something as, for her, I shouldn't have to experience such confusion. Maybe you should provide a man pen in the package so it can tell the woman pen what to do. Sorry, sorry. There's more. There's more. Let's let's, let's let. Can we do a couple more? Can we can we do a couple? All right. Yeah, we'll do a couple more. Well suited to make martinis. <laughs> this is uh this is from Won't Get Fooled Again. That's the name of the reviewer. <laughs> Wife, I said, if you could have one new fashion accessory to go with your Snooky's. <laughs> Sultry hobo handbag. <laughs> what would it be? Finally, her dreams can be realized. I'll have to teach her how to use a pen safely, but it will be worth the effort once she starts earning. <laughs> but it will be worth the effort once she starts earning big bucks addressing envelopes at home. You know, because he's stallion breaking. And I mean, because these big for her pens, and they're just for her. These big for her pens are for all day writing. I mean, that's, that's right in the marketing, you know, the product itself, reading the review, the product itself came to, to a package as advertised. And both of them contained ink. So you don't have to worry about making your own. <laughs> they really extract or they really retract. Although the ejector plunger may wear as the wife practices, pushing the ram. <laughs> 
Also, the roller ball on the one I broke open was 1.2 millimeters, which rounds down to one uh, one millimeter. So it may be a little too heavy gauged for a female beginner pen slinger. I think the balls are made out of tungsten carbide, although the lab results won't be ready for several weeks. The ink pH, viscosity check, and appearance <laughs> fell in line with manlier inks, although the pink was a nice for her customization. Overall, these pens are well suited to make markings on paper and other materials. A felt tip pen would probably have been better a better choice for beginners, as there is less chance of eye damage. Of course, no pen is truly eye safe. You can get around this by purchasing a good set of safety goggles for her before letting her hold the pen. That's a good idea. Maybe I'll put a link in the show notes for I'm sure some company out there has safety goggles for her, you know, uh, with full instruction. <laughs> uh, let's see. And, and here's uh, here's one from from Paul M. This is a top 1000 reviewer gave gave these the Bic for her pen a five star or five stars. Where will it end? That's the title of the review. So now they have their own pens. Next thing, they'll be owning property, voting, and talking back. Where will it end? <laughs> All right, one more, one more. That's it. I'll, 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 I'll do one more. They need, this is from Rachel. The title is, they need to put a warning on the package for the Bic for her pens. I know it says for her on the package, but I, like many, assumed it was just a marketing ploy seeking to, profit, seeking to profit off of archaic gender constructs and the war of the sexes. Little did I realize that these pens really are for girls and only girls. Non-girls risk serious side effects should they use this product. This is Stanley breaking in. This is a good warning. I lent one to my 13-year-old brother, not thinking anything of it, and woke up the next morning to the sound of whinnying, whinnying coming from the room across the hall. I got out of bed and went to his room to find that my worst fears had been realized. My little brother is now a unicorn and it's all my fault. Sure. You'd think that having a unicorn for a little brother would be great, but my parents are furious. I've been grounded for a month. They made an appointment for him with a family practitioner, but I'm not sure it'll do any good. And they told me if it couldn't be fixed, I'd have to get a job to help pay for his feed and lodging. I repeat, boys, do not use this pen unless you want to be a unicorn. And even then be careful because there's no telling what you'll suffer, uh, that you'll suffer the same side effects. Seriously, Bick, it's really, really irresponsible for you to put out this product without a clear warning of the risk it poses to non-girls. Just saying for her is not enough. I'm giving it two stars, two stars because even though they got me grounded, the pens still write really nice and bring out my eyes. Okay, one more, one more. That's it. Here it is from uh, Lakeview Family. This is a very recent one. My, uh, let's see, and here's a review. My husband got me these lady pens because I find man pens to be so taxing. Thank God he knows what a delicate flower I am. So if you have a delicate flower in your life, uh, link is in the show notes and you can, uh, you can, you can get Bic pens for her. There's only two two packages left. That means four pens. So, I don't know, maybe you're polyamorous and you have uh, multiple women in your life. You're going to have to buy both packages. But don't wait. Go and get these right now. I, but, but be careful. Don't buy them for the boys. You know, don't get them for the boys. <laughs> we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hey, you heard about it at the top of the show. I have a whole new book out. Well, not whole new. If you signed up for the Sovereign Tech newsletter at zog.email, again, that's zog.email, you would have read some of these stories in an earlier form. But this is the Sovereign Universe. You love the fictional aspects of Sovereign Tech, baby. This is your book, Sovereign Universe, Volume 1. You can find it on Amazon, and it's going to be in all other places very soon. But for right now, if you want to get on your Kindle, get the ebook version, you get it on Amazon. You just type in Sovereign Universe, or there's a link in the show notes for this episode and you can get your hands on it. It's only $2.99. It's a bunch of short stories, some of which are exclusive to this book. They will only ever come out for this book. They will never come out on Patreon. They will never come out on in the Sovereign Tech newsletter. They will only be in this book. And boy, can I tell you, the ladies love these stories, okay? A pure hotness. You know I do erotic science fiction like no other. You want to get on this Sovereign Universe. You can go to zog.email to find the link for the book. You can go to Amazon and just type in Sovereign Universe, S-O-V-R-Y-N, or you can find the link in the show notes. Check it out. Thank you in advance. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Go get it. Go get the book. Sovereign Universe, Volume 1. It's fucking awesome. The Climax You know, really, I mean, I know everybody's like, oh, no, there's a quality now and all this stuff. But I mean, like, th- come on now, granted, like the f- for the first couple, uh, you know, this week's online review segments. I mean, I- I've picked a couple of classics from Amazon. Um, in fact, there's another I-, I plan on doing one of my favorites of all time next week, but I won't spoil what that is for you. Uh, but come on. Like, really, you know, this is like, oh, yeah, you know, put put some pink on the real tree 3D, I don't know, whatever jacket or covering, you know, like the camouflage covering. And that way it's for her and all that. Like, I, I, I mean, do, do you not see, you know, <laughs> how this shit is like still ingrained? In so much, I mean, like in marketing, in products alone. I mean, and, and there, there's hundreds of those reviews on, on the Amazon listing for the big pens for her because everybody knows just how fucking stupid that is. Like, <sighs> yeah, anyway. And, and there's a reason there's only two left because Bic stopped making these goddamn things. I mean, foot in mouth and head in ass on that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it is a quality right now. We gave them pens. We gave women pens. <sighs> anyway, most listeners know I'm a, I'm a feminist ally. So, you know, obviously my laughing at that is just at the pure ridiculousness on Bix part. Uh, you know, I wasn't laughing at women. Uh, regardless, um, it is time for the climax. So we ended up skipping a couple segments in this, uh, in this particular episode. Um, for the climax, I actually want to talk about something. So on Patreon every month, uh, there are, there is, effectively entire podcast series that I do once a month on Patreon, but there's a bunch of them. So, you know, it's like getting a podcast a week almost, uh, though it depends on when I actually release them. Some of them I don't release till closer to the end of the month. Sometimes they come out in the middle of the month, but you always get them at least once a month in your Patreon feed. Uh, one of the ones that I do is the Star Trek update, um, which is a lot of fun for me to do because I mean, holy fuck, will I talk about Star Trek for an hour? You bet your goddamn ass I will. And I also want to talk about it now for about 10 minutes uh, because something I didn't really get into in the Star Trek update. I mean, I talked about it a little bit 
recently, um, Star Trek Discovery, which we reviewed twice, actually, I think, on Sovereign Tech Prime episodes. Uh, Stephanie did a review of it, uh, and I talked about it then, and I also did a bit of a review here and there um, of Star Trek Discovery. You know, like, I think I reviewed maybe the first couple episodes, and then the others I ended up doing mainly for, um, you know, for the Star Trek update. But since the climax is the part of the show where I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about, I actually want to talk about Star Trek here. Um, I've recently, when the Blu-ray for season one came out, and we have season two up and coming, after having the chance to really breathe um, after seeing season one, which the like the final episode of season one, I think, came out in like March of this year of 2018. Um, after having a chance to breathe and, you know, and settle on that and then rewatch, really binge watch season one on Blu-ray. Um, I, I have some thoughts that I want to share with the broader Sovereign Tech audience um, and that I want to talk about with this, because I think this show is has a reputation that is complete. I, Star Trek Discovery season one has a reputation that is completely undeserved. Um, and I firmly blame CBS for this undeserved reputation. I think they've really fucked up. And unless, and there's the potential that this is going to happen. We've talked about it. Cause I, again, I do monthly news updates, everything. I, I'm keeping you abreast of everything that's really happening in Star Trek, not just Star Trek discovery, but what I do talk about a lot of the, you know, kind of up to the minute news, um, at least once a month, you know, on, on, on Patreon and you can go to sovereigntech.com to become a patron. Um, but, you know, we do know that season two with Captain Pike and Spock, you know, all those are, you know, the Enterprise is going to be there and everything. Well, Pike's going to end up pretty much commanding the Discovery. We know uh, Empress or Emperor Georgiou, Emperor Philippa Georgiou is going to be part of Section 31. She's going to be, I mean, this is all open knowledge, folks. I'm not spoiling anything. Obviously, the show hasn't even premiered. Um, but, you know, she's going to be in and everything. And it sounds like it's going to be a bit of a different format. Maybe not so much the big storylines. And really, it was storylines, you know, with season one where you had the Klingon War, you had the Mirror Universe storylines, um, you had, you know, really what was going on for Burnham, uh, you know, and the, the aftermath of, you know, her life with the Battle of the Binary Stars, and, you know, from the first couple episodes and so on. I mean, there was a lot that in a lot, I mean, really a lot of stuff was covered in season one. Now, the thing is, is that, you know, so season two might end up being a little more episodic where it's not so much a story arc in the vein of say Babylon five or shit shows like the newer Battlestar Galactica, the new battles, the old one's amazing. The, the new one was just horrible. Uh, you know, where it's not like that, but it'll be a little more episodic because as far as we know, they are going to do the same thing they did with season one where they release one episode per week and they might even like take a lengthy break in between that, um, you know, where, where they'll stop after like six or seven episodes, then they'll show you the next few episodes um, for season two. And I don't even think we've gotten a listing of how many how many episodes were on order for season two. Maybe we did find that information out. Uh, if so, I don't recall what it was. But regardless of that, um, you know, that that end up might be that might happen. But unless it's going to be episodic, this is a fail, because I think a lot of people were when we when I rewatched season one of of Star Trek Discovery on Blu-ray, like I said, I pretty much binge watched it. OK, I mean, it took two, three nights, but like went through all the episodes that is that is a great little season of Star Trek. I mean, and it's almost like watching, I don't know, a 12 or whatever or 13, 14 hour, however long it ends up chalking up to be like a 14 hour movie, 
because everything happens so quickly in succession. I mean, just bam, 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 bam. And when you watch it that way, you're not really, I I think what happened, and and this is why I want to talk about it, because I think what ended up happening, because this this did have such a really deep and ingrained story arc, uh, multiple story arcs within the first season, and it looked like it was going in a million different places, you were waiting like once a week to take in, um, you know, what was supposed to happen next. And when it just kept like leading into the next and leading into the next week and everything, it, it felt like you were waiting for so much. You were waiting for such big payoffs and everything that it didn't live up to the hype. It didn't live up to a lot of the setup that you were getting. And there were other issues, too, where people were revealing, like, you know, kind of the whole Ash Tyler invoke storyline and all that. Sure. Like, you know, that that journalistic institutions were were leaking effectively what was going to happen. Um, I mean, that that was going on. But none of that really would have been a problem if I think if CBS did this right, they should have just released the whole first season and just let people binge watch it. Because when you binge watch it, it's not only good, it's almost great. I mean, and and pretty damn great. Like you get to really sink your teeth into what's going on. And it feels on a it feels like a much more epic scale when you're not having to wait every week to get the next part to it. I mean, it feels really fucking epic. Um, I don't know how people you know, one of my favorite. uh, Well, favorite, I guess, franchises and and really like uh, media ever made out there would be like the serials of a flash Gordon from way back in the thirties, you know, Buster crab, the whole thing, right. Uh, you know, where it would be something that you'd go to the theater to see a movie. They would play eight to 20 minutes or whatever, a flash Gordon. You'd see that was kind of a bonus. And then you would go, you know, the next week you go see another movie, but then they'd have the next part of, uh, of the present flash Gordon serial that you were seeing. It wasn't a TV shows in theaters. It was just kind of this extra thing, kind of like Pixar movies have at the beginning of them. Um, I don't know how people dealt. I mean, other than the fact that this is such a new thing that people just remembered and were just so riveted and hooked, they, you know, they didn't know better than they could wait till next week. But now, you know, it's more fun to watch the Flash Gordon serials like all, you know, binge watch them. And then it makes more sense. Otherwise, you're just like it, it's not enough. It, do, it doesn't hold your attention um, the way that it really could in a in a longer format. Um and I think I think season one of Discovery, like that's a real failing, like is that the you know doing it once a week just didn't let you process what was happening in the way that it was really designed. Because when you do story arcs, you know, unless you're allowing for it to have more more singular episodic stuff to happen, like within a show like Babylon Five, where it has a five year story arc, but that's the thing, it's something that plays out over five years, not just one season. Unless you have that, you've got to let people binge watch this shit. So hopefully, I mean, now people can, you know, get discovery. And in fact, most people that I've talked to that just that waited until discovery was done and then they like got their free trial of CBS all access and they watched um, discovery on that, you know, all at once they binge watched it. They like it a lot more than the people that were actually watching week for week because it's just it's meant to be consumed that way. And I really I think that that the attitude that most people have towards this show comes from the fact that it was presented so poorly. Not in fact, it's more than that. And the Blu-rays really highlight this. There is so much more going on as far as sound. The picture is so much sharper and there's really fine detail and important things happening within each episode that, 
you know, if you're watching it on a, any kind of lesser quality because of because you're streaming video, you miss it. You don't see it. It's not, you know, like it might as well not be there. And that's really disappointing. And it really but it really shines on the Blu-ray because, again, it's offline, which is always superior. Um, and the sound is incredible. And there are so many little sounds of hell. There's not even sounds. There's sounds that I'm pretty sure are from the next generation that are even in that. But I never noticed them before. Um, I mean, granted, you know, watching it through again, like I know what's kind of coming and a lot of things can mean a lot more. But that's another thing, too, is that if you were able to binge watch it, you could have appreciated it even more the second time because you just would have binge watched it all over again to pick up on all like, the you know, the, the Gabriel Lorca uh, turn stuff and, you know, and, and the mirror universe parts and everything like you really could have, you know, you could have dig deep very quickly. And I just I think if this was binge watchable, if they released every episode at once there would be a much different, I mean, people seem to still really still seem to be hopeful about Star Trek discovery, but I think there would have been, you know, like the reviews would have been through the roof, you know, as far as like, Holy shit, this is amazing. I mean, that's what I've said about when anybody asks me, how good is Star Trek discovery compared to other Star Trek? My response is usually this is that it's probably the best next to the original series. It's probably the best season one of any Star Trek series. And it is, whether no matter which way you watched it, it's a better season one than what Voyager did, than what DS9 did, than what Next Gen did. I mean, way better than what Next Gen did um, and, and better than Enterprise, even though Enterprise might be the runner up uh, on that. I mean, the original series, the first season of the original series, of course, it was setting precedent in every, you know, every episode, um, you know, is some of the best TV ever done. So we're I mean, just ever. So, you know, you can't compare it to that. But otherwise, you know, it's one of the best first seasons of any star Trek. And I think that's a compliment. Um, but this really CBS is failing in that they're not making it. They didn't make it binge watchable. And also the streaming service for the amount of detail that was put into this show. Uh, streaming does it a disservice. It really does. Like, like streaming hurts the show. Um, I would have released it on Blu-ray concurrently, frankly, like I would have put it out on the streaming service and I would have put out the Blu-rays because the only people that are going to be buy the Blu-rays are the people who are going to buy the Blu-rays. Right. I, I mean, like, you know, it's the hardcore fans and they're probably still going to pay for the streaming service anyway. If anything, just to see the short treks um, that have been coming out lately, which are these little 15 to 20 minute uh, Star Trek discovery episodes that CBS All Access has been doing, which I have thought those have been brilliant even though I can't wait for them to be on some kind of Blu-ray set. They're not on the season one Blu-ray set for Star Trek Discovery. But if you if you didn't like the first season, I really challenge you to watch it again. And if you can, watch it on the Blu-rays or, you know, something with superior sound uh, because there's a lot going on there. And when you watch it all at once, it, it's actually a lot of fun. And while things are still kind of fast-paced, um, it's a pacing that gives you everything and and you don't have as much expectation of well what's going to be next week what's this mystery you know now that we kind of know the score we can really appreciate the first season on everything that the creative team was trying to do that the production team was trying to do and it it does shine i i really think it uh it does it, it shines very well the other thing too even though i kind of Part of me wishes these were on the show. The after or were on the Blu-rays. The after treks are not on the Blu-rays. But now I'm kind of realizing those after track shows, which is kind of like the show that would premiere after is hosted by Matt Mira, where they were. I mean, this is popular with a lot of shows. Walking Dead has it and all that, where they talk to cast and crew about the episode and everything. 
those were doing more harm than good. Like they were really doing a lot more harm than good because they got you thinking about things that, and, and they were, they were really fucking with your head and not in a helpful or exciting way. So anyway, check it out. If you check it out again, if you haven't seen it yet, watch it all at once. Okay. Watch season one all at once. But if you, you know, and if you have already seen it, but you watched it week by week and you felt disappointed by it, especially with season two coming up fast, it's coming up just the beginning of January. It'll be here before we know it. Uh, and I'll be doing full reviews on Patreon and I'll probably do a season review, um, you know, on a sovereign tech prime episode, but do watch it again because I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at, at just, uh, just how much is going on. And also do read, um, because the mirror universe, you know, kind of leaves you like you're wondering, well, what happens when the power vacuum of the mirror universe, the, uh, the comic book company, IDW, who has the star Trek license right now, they did a, like a four issue miniseries called star Trek discovery, uh, succession. And it has to, uh, all it has to do with what happens in the mirror universe after the events of what you see in star Trek discovery season one. And it is, it is a really talk about twists and turns. It is a really exciting comic book, especially it's another one where you want to read it all at once. Uh, and it's great if you didn't have to wait month to month. I mean, you really want to read this in one shot. Uh, and it, it, it very well done and gives us some, some buildup and really closure even to the mirror universe storyline as far as it relates to discovery. So I do recommend checking that out as well. Of course I reviewed it on the star Trek update and kind of told you the story, but you know, if you want to find out for yourself, I totally recommend reading that. And keep in mind that the books, the comic books and novels for discovery are technically Canon. Uh, like they, what happens in those does have ramifications for the show itself. So they're important now as to where with Star Trek, that wasn't always so, uh, where, where the novels or the comics didn't really matter now with, with discovery anyway, they do. So do check those out. Anyway, uh, that's it for this week's episode of Sovereign Tech. Of course, if you want to become a patron and get all geeky with me on there, as well as have access to the, uh, the Wednesday Q and A's and so much more game talk, user podcast, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, just go to SovereignTech.com, S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. Go there, get your hookup, sign up, you know, just a dollar a month or you can do a lot more. That's fine with me. I, that, but that's it for this week. I will see all of you whoo, on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love. And love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution. Welcome to the evolution.